2: In 1997, an African-American civil rights activist listened to a 13-year-old girl describe her sexual assault. Tarana Burke says she didn't know what to say to her at the time, even though she'd been a survivor of sexual assault herself. Almost 10 years later, in 2006, she coined a term that she hoped would create empowerment through empathy. She realised you could create an immediate connection between people by saying, ''Me too.'' This is a movement about healing. This is a movement about giving the people who have been holding the trauma in the pit of their stomach for most of their lives a space to release that and to heal. When the Weinstein sexual misconduct allegations emerged a decade later, Alyssa Milano tweeted, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write, me too, as a reply to this tweet.
3: Thank you, Tarana, for giving us two words and a hashtag that helped free us.
2: That was the moment the movement went viral.
1: I was just 14 when an old man grabbed my boobs in the street.
0: If you ask me to put a number on the amount of times I've been groped, hassled, threatened or flashed by men, I genuinely couldn't. To my friends, I believe you. I support
1: you and fuck, I'm so angry for you. We're in this together.
3: What happened to me
4: behind the scenes happens to all of us in this society. And that cannot stand and it
2: will not stand. Since then, Hollywood stars, theatre directors, businessmen and politicians have all been implicated in sexual harassment scandals.
4: The head of the Academy, which awards the Nobel Prize in Literature, has resigned over her handling of sexual misconduct allegations.
3: Today, authorities file criminal charges against filmmaker Harvey Weinstein. Some have been charged,
2: others jailed. Many have withdrawn from public life, unable to deny the rising tide of allegations.
1: Guilty. That was the verdict today on charges that Bill Cosby drugged and sexually assaulted a woman in 2004 at his suburban Philadelphia mansion.
0: A total of nine women have now come forward with allegations of
1: overtures by Roy Moore. One of Hollywood's best known actors, Kevin Spacey, the latest high profile star caught up in allegations. Five women are accusing Louis C.K.
0: of sexual misconduct.
2: The Me Too hashtag has showcased how prevalent sexual harassment and assault is in our society. And social media has continued to be a driving force. In Hollywood, we saw 300 women start the Time's Up anti-harassment coalition, starting a new hashtag to help call out bad behaviour. And to those
4: who would dare try and silence us, we
2: offer you two words, Time's Up. Most recently, sexual assault allegations against a US Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. I am here today not because
0: I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me.
2: Has seen people share their stories on the hashtag Why I Didn't Report talking about the complex reasons sexual assaults are not reported. I remember the the trifecta that I would continuously process, which is fear, anger, shame, fear, angry, shame. But what has really changed for women since Me Too exploded in late 2017? Attitudes? Laws? Behaviours? Has it actually changed the lives of women or other people who have suffered from sexual misconduct? That's what we're going to find out on Witch Hunt.
3: So many of the women who've contacted me through this have really downplayed their experiences. Let me give you one example. One woman said to me, about a very well-known person who I won't name at this stage, not yet, oh, look, I never had, you know, particularly bad experiences with him, although there was that one Christmas party where he pinned me against the wall and shoved his tongue down my throat and rubbed his penis against me. And I said, look... That is a really bad experience. She said, Oh, it's nowhere near as bad as what some other women go through.
0: I'm Gabrielle Jackson. I'm Steph Harmon. Our first guest today is Tracy Spicer. Tracy became one of the more prominent figures of the Me Too movement in Australia after she called for women to share their stories of sexual misconduct. She's also launched a nonprofit foundation, Now Australia, which gives practical legal advice and counseling to people across the country who've experienced workplace harassment and assault.
2: Welcome, Tracy. Oh, it's
0: great to be here. Thank
2: you. So, we have called the this podcast Witch Hunt.
3: I love that name. <laughs> I've been thinking about the irony of it. Yes, that you know, journalists doing me two stories are being accused of being on a witch hunt, but women have been silenced for centuries and burned and drowned as witches. So that is a brilliant name. Congratulations <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Tracy,
0: towards the end of last year, you sent out a tweet. Um, the tweet was calling for women who had experienced assault, harassment to share their stories with you. When I saw that tweet, I was really excited. I guess, on the one hand, and on the other hand, I was a bit frightened because I think all of the conversations around Me Too, as we've seen them play out in the media, have been about mostly high-profile men, people like Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Louis C.K., allegations against people of that nature. And I thought, what's that going to look like in Australia? And what don't we know? And how's this going to play out? What's your experience been since then? What happened?
3: I was really shocked with the response to that tweet. I was thinking of two particular repeat offenders in the industry and feeling guilty as a journalist, actually, that we'd never done stories on our own like Mm. that. And here was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity we could do that. Since I sent out the tweet, I've been overwhelmed with about 1,600 stories across all industries. Mm. And... What I have discovered is that it's incredibly difficult to tell those stories in Australia for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. One is that we have some of the toughest defamation laws in the world. We don't have First Amendment protections. And I'm going to be really careful in the way that I say this, but it's a very important point to make. We need to do these stories robustly. And there are some media organisations who are now backing away from doing those stories because the allegations have become too close to their own executives. Now, this is the problem we're facing as part of the backlash. It's within the industry as well as being from people outside of the industry that fear losing their power as executives. The other thing is, and you would have found this, Steph, because you've spoken to a lot of these women, um, A lot they're very emotionally fragile mm. and you want to protect them through the process as well without re-traumatising them. So it necessarily has to be a long process, not only because of legal considerations, but because of emotional considerations as well. Yeah.
2: The, if we look at the biggest revelations in Australia, there have been Don Burke, which you had 26 women, I think,
3: is that the right number, on the record about him? We had dozens on the record, but we also had off the record, all up, we spoke to about 60 or 70 people. Wow.
0: And we had Craig McLaughlin and Geoffrey Rush accused in the media as well, who are both disputing those claims in court now. These are extremely prolonged, high-profile cases. What what effect do you think they have on others who are thinking about coming forward with allegations against different people?
3: Part of the backlash is terrible trolling and rape and death threats for the women who come forward. Mm. So, what I've found is a lot of women who we were previously speaking to were saying, "Look, I don't want to tell my story anymore. I just don't want to be threatened." and this is this is the problem at the moment because mm. it's great for us to say, "Women, please speak out and tell your stories, but if this is what they're copying yeah. because of it, I understand why women don't want to do it anymore.
0: Mm. I've noticed it too. I think when I started investigating this stuff towards November, December last year, everybody was so gung-ho. All the incredible women I was speaking to were, brave and ready to talk and ready to get it out there. Unfortunately, for the reasons we've discussed, the stories take longer. And as time went on, they watched more and more of these cases start playing out in the Australian media. And they thought, well, what happens if What happens if he sues? Is my name going to get dredged? What's going to happen to me on Twitter? And they've started, not all of them, of course, but some of them have started feeling really anxious about that. And then my job becomes trying to manage their fears, but also making them aware, aware of the risks, because it is risky. And I think we hear a lot on Twitter about trial by media, trial by Twitter, that's not possible in Australia. And I like that it's not because it means that when a story gets out there, if you're doing the job well, protecting your sources and protecting your news organisation, if the story gets out there, it's going to be robust.
3: I agree with you, absolutely. But I would also say that looked at objectively, those defamation laws do protect the rich and the powerful. Yeah, I, that's true. I think true. they're
2: too far as well. Mm. And, and the defamation cases that have been brought by almost every accusation that's been made in Australia are having a silencing effect. They are, they are kind of killing the Me Too movement in Australia. And there has to be a balance. You mm-hmm. mentioned we don't have a Bill of Rights before. There has to be some, you know, Bill of Rights that protects freedom of speech and where truth is, you know, it's supposedly a defence. But I think it's these laws are working too much
3: for the people who already have power. There's a very real world example of that. I put in some extra anecdotes in my book before publication about being groped on the ass by... And it was the one thing that lawyers, two sets of lawyers took out of the book. And I said, why did you take it out? That's not the worst story I've told there. And they said, we took it out because, quote, he's litigious and he has deep pockets.
0: It's Steph here. Sorry to interrupt, just breaking in to say our lawyers, in fact, had us remove the same details for the same reasons that Tracey's did. And so that being expressed by a lawyer shows that that does protect the rich and powerful. Mm. And that's exactly the problem, isn't it? These these are the kinds of men that we're looking at at the moment and the risk for a newsroom the size of The Guardian, for instance, is huge, which mm. means that in order to get them, in order to get the stories, we need to know that we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot. Yeah. Tracy, in all of the stuff that you've seen coming out around the Me Too, around Now Australia, what are the stories that aren't being told that you think need to be told?
3: Do you know, of the 1,600 people, both women and men who've contacted me, there was only one Indigenous person. And so they're the next lot of stories that we need to tell because marginalised women experience sexual harassment at a rate much higher than the rest of the population and they're the ones who've got the less power. That's where we need to go.
0: In an attempt to bring in those women, now Australia's made sure that their steering committee and their board is as diverse as possible. But in the past year, it's become clear that the Me Too movement more generally runs a huge risk of leaving people behind. So why do marginalised communities feel like they're being excluded? Lorena Alum is the Indigenous Affairs Editor at Guardian Australia. Lorena, Tracy told us that of the 1,600 allegations she received after her call-out... Only one that she knew of came from an Indigenous person. What issues do you think are at play there?
1: There are a lot of conversations around Me Too that are happening among women of colour. A lot of us talking to each other about experiences that we've had. And and it's not something that we've all held back on discussing in the past. I I think where the resistance or the reluctance comes is in talking to white women about Mm. our experiences. Because... While white women are worried that they don't feel believed when they come forward, women of colour are far less likely to be believed. And I think if we look at the historical context for that reluctance, you can see that over time, the uh, protection era, the assimilation era for Aboriginal women, it was white women who took our kids, white women who took them and raised them as as their own, white women who managed mission schools, white women who ran convents were white women who we had to mop floors for and be their nannies. And so there is this long historical power imbalance between black and white women in this country that we know is deeply harmful to our families. So when we see ourselves at the bottom of those, all those socioeconomic ladders, we see white women as being part of a system that put us there. So I think that historically it is a really um, fraught relationship. So if there's a reluctance to come forward, I think that's probably one of several factors that are Mm. are at play there. Also, uh, women of colour don't see necessarily a place for themselves in the feminist movement more broadly. Mm. Um, We have other issues that face us that we don't feel are recognised in in the kind of mainstream feminism. So we're not worried about the cost of childcare. We're worried about... Getting to keep our kids, we're worried about the state intervention in our families' lives and in child removals and in in um, the treatment of our children in custody. And I mean, we're we're dealing with some really big, dangerous social issues in our in our community. The agenda needs to accommodate those issues for women of colour so mm-hmm. that they can feel more included in 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 Me Too.
0: Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, I mean, what do you think are the areas that the Me Too movement could move into in order for that to happen?
1: Hmm. Uh, Well, I think that the women who lead this movement are doing a fantastic job, but I think they must always be conscious of inclusion uh, and intersectionality and, and make a commitment to doing that work. I think when you take on a speaking opportunity, it's important to think, who else can I bring with me? Who else is better suited to speak about this how can i use what the power i have and i'm not saying that the mo- the movement in australia has a huge amount of power as women we we may not we, we we might have the zeitgeist we might have a moment in time but but to sustain that takes a lot of effort um so i appreciate that the space is limited but that shouldn't be a reason not to find a way to include other voices and to say hang on Maybe now is an opportunity to talk about child removals and, and maybe we can privilege some voices of women from remote areas about what life's like for them and what are the issues for them. Sharing the platform, I think, is, is a really important thing to do. As a woman of color with a 13-year-old brown son, what I need is to not feel afraid every time he leaves the house that he's going to be shot by a racist policeman. I mean, that's what I need. You know, I need that more probably than other things.
0: (laughs) Rebecca Walker is an American writer, activist, and advocate for women who's been speaking on the intersection of gender, race, and power for decades. When she was in Australia for Sydney's All About Women Festival, we sat down with Rebecca and Australian writer and playwright Nikia Louie
1: it's it's not an easy proposition to put forth the list of things that we need to do the the paths are so different for for the different groups and I think if we do it without incorporating um, a language of um, of race and class and sexual orientation and and access and privilege, um, we may just replicate, I think, what's happened. Yeah, no, I
4: completely I completely agree. And I think with the Me Too movement of where we, where we are now, and maybe this is a, uh, a fourth wave feminism kind of thing, is that in the 60s, asking for these things within Australia feminism, my mum's the, the biggest feminist I, I know. My mum wasn't an, like, counted as an Australian citizen. During that movement. So essentially, this idea of being able to have space that's new for a lot of communities to be able to articulate yourself within a mainstream discussion within a a brighter scope of who we are as a community. So many people have been made to be visible. I think there's something in the fact that the Me Too movement has arisen and is gaining a lot of traction in a moment where there's hyper neo-nationalism happening around the world. There's which essentially is, is is whiteness. And I just wonder what that is and how does gender equality sit within a political spectrum of a pride in a history of, of violence and 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 a desperate need to uphold a value system, which is just about the esoterics of, you know, black people, First Nations people race and and having control over women it's 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 about a value system it's very much about you 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 take what you want from people and hold them down till they are silent so i just wonder what that is
2: so here we are we've we know that there's widespread sexual harassment at work there's violence against women in the community How did we get here and and why are we here?
3: We got here because of the power imbalance traditionally between the genders, but... We can fix these things. And we're seeing huge cultural shifts at the moment. Some of the practical things we can do is to look at the legal system, which hasn't kept up with social mores. Things like a six-month statute of limitations for civil charges. That's ridiculous. People take longer than six months to get their heads around, what do I do? I'm being serially, sexually harassed or I'm being you know, indecently assaulted in the street. What do I do? Where do I go? It takes people a lot longer to speak out about that kind of stuff. There's a lot of things we could do in the Fair Work Act to change that. We need to increase penalties as well for people who are the perpetrators. So the exciting thing about this discussion is there are levers that can be pulled and there are people willing to pull those levers.
0: And I think beyond the the legal system, there's also micro changes that seem to be happening. There's changes happening in homes to the way that children are being raised and the way they're understanding their gender and each other's gender and how to respect each other. There's changes happening in the way that we conceive of masculinity and and what what it means to be a good man. I I think these conversations that are happening more and more because of this movement are going down all of these extremely helpful tangents. We saw it when the Aziz Ansari case came out, one of the, you know, the most tangential to the Me Too movement, but it was, to me, one of the most interesting discussions about consent and what that means in the 21st century.
3: Yeah, that's one of the big things that now Australia wants to do is to get those education kind of programs into workplaces and into schools about consent, about what sexual harassment is and what you can do about it if it happens. And also about that nuance in Mm. dating and relationships and sex because things are moving very quickly.
0: On Witch Hunt, we'll be covering some of the issues we touched on today in depth, including the legal system, the political system, intersectionality and consent, as we unravel what's changed since Me Too went viral and what needs to happen next.
2: Next time on Witch Hunt, we're talking about sexual harassment in the workplace.
1: I have to say, when it happens to you, you feel so shocked and so invaded that you don't respond necessarily in the way you normally would.
2: Thanks for listening to Witch Hunt. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your favourite podcasts from or visit www.theguardian.com slash witchhunt. (laughs) Podcasts. (laughs) Slash just visit The Guardian and go for it. Just Google Witch Hunt, guys. Come on and leave us a review.